Hello and welcome to Music Rewind, a podcast where we look to tell the stories behind our favorite albums. I'm your host, Steve Epley, and in each episode, we invite a guest on to tell us about their favorite music album, how they discovered it, and what makes it special to them. Joining me today is a writer and producer out of Connecticut, Keith Higgins. Keith is the co-host of the excellent Abandoned Albums podcast, and I had the pleasure of joining Keith on the World Music Podcast Forum uh, back in August of that last year, I think. I think that's when yes. we did that. Yeah, yeah, that, that sounds about right. Yeah. Well, welcome, Keith, and uh, thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to uh, talking about this album that I had never heard of before. <laughs> you and most of the uh, Western world. Truly an abandoned album, and uh, uh, looking forward to bringing it to the masses as far as our audience. So, Cool. Keith, let's jump right into this. What album would you like to bring to the table, and what makes it special to you? Uh, this would be the 1986 debut album by a band from uh, Los Angeles called Broken Homes. It's just your basic straight-ahead blues-based rock and roll band. What makes it special to me? What makes it special to me? Gosh, that is. Um, I don't really know if there's like some sort of emotional thing. I just think it's such a good record from the moment I first heard the song in another land. I'm like, wow, oh, this is just incredible. It's exactly the type of rock and roll that I like. Not pretentious. It's simple. How did you discover this particular album? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I was at the time I was a carpenter's apprentice and we were we were redoing, remodeling some doctor's office. And my memory paints a picture of it being around 4.30 and the long intro to the, the song In Another Land. was the the first thing this was on the radio yeah it was on the radio yeah on the fm radio station in dayton ohio where i lived at the time and i was just you know you had those songs that just whack you hit you across the head Mm -hmm. and there was just something about it that that did it for me and then i went i want to say that night but memory memory's a little cloudy um and i went to the record store and i bought the album luckily they had it and went home and listened to it and it was gosh it was unlike anything i had heard at the time certainly in, certainly in the mid 80s it was certainly did not have if we listen to it now it sounds just as relevant but in 1986 there wasn't a lot that sounded like it we would come to hear that sound that that record would serve the Broken Homes debut record would serve really as a blueprint for some other bands that that came after. It struck me as uh, as very, if I had to compare it to other artists, John Mellencamp comes to mind, maybe George Thurgood. Yeah, uh, th- those types of uh, I don't want to say country rock, uh, but Heartland rock. Heartland, that's a good way. Yeah, that that because this is exactly what I would the type of music I would hear growing up in rural Illinois in the eighties, just on the radio. 
if it's if it's not a classic rock hit, this this is just background. That's the kind of music I would hear. I think that's so true. The band only released three records, and on the following two records after that debut, I hear that a hundred percent, and I think that's where the record falters for me are the the two records after because it seemed like they were trying so hard to fit into that heartland rock sort of genre of Bob Seger, Bob Mellencamp. And they weren't bad records, but there were other artists that were doing it better than they were doing it. You said they were out of LA. Yeah. I mean, that's not the heartland no, no, by, it's not. by any means. No. So and- when I read that they were from LA, I was kind of surprised. Yeah. I, I, that, cause LA during the mid eighties, not particularly this sound. No. Um, Mike Doman is the only, is the only non-California native of the band, uh, at, in that incarnation, the four members who created that, who made that record. He's the lead singer. Mike Doman is the only guy from Pittsburgh. The other three, Craig Ross, Jimmy Ashurst and Craig Aronson were all from LA. That that explains Steel Town. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Go figure. I was going to ask that uh, when I, one of my notes for Steel Town was like, these guys are from LA. Where does that come from? <laughs> um, and and you're right. There was what folk would call a cowpunk movement around that time that included bands like Lone Justice. Jason and the Scorchers, some of those bands, X to some extent, there's like this cowpunk subgenre that they were kind of in. They were also in the straight ahead kind of rock and roll genre where they didn't fit in was in that Sunset Strip hair rock movement that was happening at the time. So, you know, that's what makes that first record to me so original is that it doesn't fall into any of those it doesn't fit as nicely into any of those genres it's cowpunk certainly not you know hair metal and then on those other two albums it it's it, it seems more forced people can't see me i'm gesturing with my hand it seems more <laughs> forced into that 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 uh, when, when were the second albums come out did they did they make it to the 90s they did 91 was the last record 91 Wing and a Prayer was the last record. So that, that put it right up against grunge then, too. So that was probably... It did. And there's an interesting connection between the two, between Broken Homes and grunge. Oh, the, you're you're probably talking um, the the Michael Goldstone. I am. The Michael yeah, Goldstone. That, that was the name I recognized when I was reading about him. Yep. He's the guy who, who signed them to MCA Records. And it was a big part of the second... The next two records, um, but especially, in the, you know, even on the first record. Yeah. He's the, the people around the record would go on to do really great things, including, you know, the band members themselves. But Michael Goldstone, excuse me, Michael Goldstone is the guy that signed them to MCA. That's correct. And he would go on to sign Mother Love Bone. And when Andy Wood died, he took the remaining members as they became Pearl Jam and took them to Columbia. Yeah, and I think he's also got a uh, Rage Against the Machine on his on his pedigree too. So I mean, he's yeah, he's got some some big hitters there. He sure does. He sure does. And the drummer Craig Aronson, although he was the fourth member of the band, he didn't drum on that debut record. They had a they had a studio musician come down and drum on it. 
guy by the name of Don Harvey. But what's interesting about Craig is that he would leave the drum kit. He would leave the drum kit behind and he would go into A&R for various labels. And he signed bands like My Chemical Romance. Oh, wow. Jimmy Eat World and a bunch of other bands. If you read Dan Ozzy's book, the name escapes me right now, about um, that era of rock and roll, Sellout. The name of the book is Sellout, the Major Label Feeding Frenzy. Sellout, the Major Label Feeding Frenzy that swept punk, emo, and hardcore. It's a great book about all these bands that were signed during that era that sort of came to shape that genre of music, emo, whatever whatever we want to call it. But Craig Aronson, the drummer, the original drummer for the band Broken Homes, was the guy he signed big chunk of those artists in fact he pops up repeatedly throughout dan's book that's amazing yeah it's really interesting you know and he often followed goldstone around on his career that's cool i mean there was other than you have a uh, a post out on medium.com mm-hmm. uh, blog post with with a nice detailed rundown of uh, of the album and I don't, I don't know when you wrote that uh, but that's almost like the definitive write-up of this album it's hard to find any other information on it other than it exists <laughs> yeah yeah um yes thank you that that's very very few in fact that's nice of you to say i don't know one and i don't know when i wrote it either i've been writing about that record on and off 10 years and i turn it on i try to turn as many people as onto it as i can i think it still sounds just as good today it doesn't sound dated. It doesn't have those, you know, the 80s gated drum type sound. It still sounds It's nicely produced by a guy named Jeff Eirich, who produced uh, so many different, so many people it's hard to list. One of the biggest albums he produced was the Plimsoll's first record, which gave a definitive, definitive, song of early college rock a million miles away okay the plimsolls and then the goo goo dolls would want to cover that song on the record on their record hold me up before they got before johnny red went crazy with plastic surgery but um longer <laughs> but in any event that's what jeff Eirich. that was one of his benchmark records so yes I did. I've been writing about that record for so long. I keep retweaking that one. I haven't revisited writing it for, but uh, well, I will send, put a link in the show notes of that because it's it's a pretty good write up. I recommend anyone that would like some further reading on this album. That's a, that's a great place to start. Yeah. Um. Thanks. Thank you. I appreciate that. So, how do you listen to the album? Do you do you bounce around or do you kind of put the vinyl on and go straight through um yes that's exactly how i listen to it. i put the album on and go straight through whether it's on spotify or the actual vinyl itself i don't i don't pick out certain songs if i'm making a playlist or back in the day <laughs> or back in the yeah I, I listen to it straight through most of the time unless i'm putting something on a playlist or yeah and there's i mean there's only what eight songs i think Eight, eight not, tracks, yeah. Yeah. So it's like an old Van Halen record. All killer, no filler. It's 
say it's it's simple yet effective. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's the basics of of just down home rock, you know, guitar, drums, and vocal. There's nothing fancy in there. It's they they sound great together. They've got uh, good chemistry, and they they're not trying to do anything over the top. Uh, and you can see the potential that was there that you definitely can't. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the people that, that, you know, so we, we talked a little bit about what, uh, Goldstone who went on to, to sign a bunch of bands, Aronson, the original drummer, Craig Aronson, who went on to sign a bunch of different bands, the band's founder and guitar player, Craig Ross would go on and is still playing with Lenny Kravitz today and co-wrote a bunch of his hits okay um he's still playing with lenny now and the bass player jimmy ashurst went on to play with izzy stradlin and juju hounds right after broken homes broke up went on to he played with the cult he toured with the cult for a little bit then he wanted to play with buck cherry for close to 10 years okay um so these guys wow. weren't yeah yeah what I guess the point I'm illustrating, hoping to illustrate, is that all this talent was around the band, mm-hmm. and it you can, I feel like you can hear it on that first record. Craig was much nicer when I spoke to Craig Ross about this record. He um, he was much kinder than I think. Kinder isn't. He was a little bit more diplomatic in explaining how that debut record sort of served as a blueprint for what would become the black crow okay yeah and you can you can kind of i don't think it's so much of a jump if you listen to that first broken the first broken homes record in particular and then you go to some tracks on hard to handle and some tracks on uh southern music not all of them but some of them i'd love to hear black crows cover all these tracks that'd Oh, it's funny. I just spoke to Jimmy last weekend. It's funny you mention that because I just spoke to Jimmy last weekend about the Juju Hounds record. Mm-hmm. That record comes out when, or that that episode comes out Wednesday. But I was, Jimmy told us he was out with Chris Robinson the night before. No, no he's kidding. Like, he's, he's like, I'm a little hungover. I was out with Chris Chris Robinson from Black Rose last oh, night. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. And, to draw one more connection between Goldstone and Grunge and the Broken Homes record, I'll send this to you offline. I think it might be in the Medium Post as well, but the artwork for the first Broken Homes record, yeah, it wasn't released with the record. Jimmy sent it to me after I spoke to him about the Broken Homes record. And that's not a humble brag either. I did talk to these guys for for my own podcast, but um, he sent me uh what the original artwork, lyric artwork was supposed to look like for the Broken Homes record. He goes, "Did your album come with this artwork?" And I looked at it and I was like, "No," but I immediately thought of and pulled up the artwork for Pearl Jam's Ten record. And I didn't, I don't know who did the graphic design work for the Broken Homes record, but there is no question they are really stylistically identical. It had to have been the same or an understudy of the gra- graphic design artist. 
they're, they're stylistically almost identical. Uh, I'm gonna have to look that up later and see see who did the artwork for for ten. Yeah, because I can't find. There's just no information on that Broken <laughs> Homes record, and those guys don't even know. You know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was I was looking through uh, Jeff Ehrlich's uh, web page earlier, and and he's got a whole page of uh, everything he's produced. And Broken Homes is right there in the middle, and you click on it, and all it says is, "No CD was ever printed. Hopefully, you could find a vinyl somewhere." That's all it says. It is. I'm happy to say it is available on streaming services, in particular Spotify and iTunes. So it is out there, and that this is a brag, thanks to me. So you put those up there? I did. Yeah, I am. Um, Thank you. I mean, I've always wanted. I. It still remains one of my dreams to put that record out as vinyl. I don't think it's ever going to go. It's not going to be a platinum seller, and or anything like. That. And when I talk to the guys about that record, I spoke to Craig. Jimmy and Jeff, who are the three remaining creative people involved in that record. Craig Aronson unfortunately died of cancer in 2015 mm. or 16. And then Mike Doman died, who's the lead singer, died 2020, December of 2020 or December oh. of 2019. Yeah. So I don't, fairly recent, right when I decided to do my podcast. I'm like, all right, well, let me see who's still around. Because I used to go to, I used to follow him a little bit on Facebook when I was marginally more active than I am now. And I went to his Facebook page to find out. Slid off this mortal coil. And uh, I don't know how. And I did speak to his brother for for the podcast as well. Mike. Oh, excuse me, Mark. His brother, Mark Doman. And... I didn't feel it appropriate to ask how he passed, and he didn't mention. Do not know how he passed. So, so wait, so 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 James Ashers and and Craig Ross are still with us. They are. Those two? Mm-hmm. Craig is. Yep, he's with Lionel. Lionel, Jesus Christ, not Lionel Richie. He's with um, Lenny Kravitz. Lenny, that's it. Lenny Kravitz. Uh, and Jimmy is. Right now, when I spoke to him last week, he's trying to get back to Italy. Well, he's not partying with the Black Crows. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so when I found out it wasn't available, I, I spoke to those guys and I and I said, hey, I have all the records. I can burn them on MP3s and post them. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Do whatever you want. And... So I did, and I let them know. Yeah. So as far as like royalties and stuff go from Spotify, does is, is any of that trickle back to them? Yes, there is. Uh, there's about thirty dollars in 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 the account that that's established and linked to the records. And I told Jimmy about it. He's like, "Oh, go get yourself a, a sandwich or something." <laughs> and I'm like, "Dude, it's not my money." I mean, <laughs> I. I I'll but I mean, if it's if it's on Spotify, it's also then in, it's you know being recommended through the algorithm to people that are listening to similar music. I mean, that's that's one of the advantages of that that streaming culture. Sure. So, what's 
funny is that apparently some Italian writer was talking to Jimmy about, I, I don't know about what, about, but he also happens to be a Broken Homes fan. And he reached out to me through Instagram. He's like, hey, do you know where this song is? They had, the band had a song on the Weird Science soundtrack. Oh. Yeah, uh, but you wouldn't know that because it's no longer on the Weird Science soundtrack. For whatever reason, that happened a couple of different times. Um, Weird Science was one of them. It was on the original soundtrack. Uh, They had a song on another 48 Hours, the another 48 Hours movie with McNulty and, and Eddie Murphy. Can't find that anywhere either. That's the one the kid. That's the one the person in Italy contacted me about. The he goes, do you know where the soundtrack is for another forty eight hours that has the broken home song on it? And I was like, oh, I don't. But I, spent I know that uh, thirty thousand feet from this album was on Miami Vice. Yep. Although I don't think it's on the soundtrack. I don't know. Well, other than the episode being also called 30,000 Feet, I mean, 30,000, that particular track wasn't one of my standouts from the from the album. But as far as the tracks go, what what are your, I mean, standout tracks? Or do you, you want to discuss anything in particular on, on those? I do. And it's funny. I have often, at different times in my life, re- organized the album, sequenced, resequenced the album. <laughs> you know, like what 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 I put have would have put yeah. as track number one and number two. Um so the I first track in another I've way. never done that to a devil. I need to, oh. that's, a, that's that's a neat little thought exercise actually. One of my favorite ones to that I did it with was uh Def Leopard's High and Dry. Okay. I think that's just horribly arranged. <laughs> you know, but I think mine's better. Uh in Another Land is the first track. I love it. L.A. Rain, I like. The interesting thing about Mike Doman, who wrote the lyrics, they're not, they're not terribly complicated lyrics. They're, you know, what you would imagine guys in their early 20s and mid 20s singing about yeah i mean la rains about life in la yeah and you know but there's that there's a one quirky little line in there um she's 31 with an id for 24 (laughs) and what i like about that is it flips the script you always think about rock stars i mean how many songs about girls being 17 are there yeah all right but this one sort of flips it a little bit. She's older, but she has ideas saying she's young. Just like, it's clever. Yeah. Clever enough. Um, Out in the Fields is, you know, lyrically, for me, one of the more bold record uh, albums. It's certainly more visual. Not one of my favorites. Oh, 
my notes were this is a decent rock tune. There, there was nothing that jumped out at me on it. No. Uh, Painless Saturday is one of the two, one of two songs that Mike Doman shares songwriting credit with. And I think, actually, I take that back. I think Craig Ross wrote that entirely himself. That song reminds me of a 90s song, but I cannot place it. I mean, down to the melody. And it's really? gonna dri- it's gonna it's been driving me nuts. I've been searching through my old mix CDs trying to find it. But huh. that the uh the just the way the the progression goes and the way the, the melody is, is it's it's I damn near identical. And I will find it. I'm gonna contact you when I do. I hope uh, you do. It's I, I'm not gonna say that the nineties band ripped it off, but it just it's it's so close and it's bugging the hell out of me. I, I when you find it, I wouldn't I don't think we would be surprised to learn there is some sort of connection. Some connection. It seems that way. That's, that's the Whether way it's an going. engineer or a producer or, or um through and through, Steel Town Blues Town is my favorite track. Yeah, definite standout track there. And uh, I did watch the music video of it. Very 80s music video. It's great. Yeah. yeah. Very uh, 80s. Not what I expected them to look like. No. No, not, not at all. But they looked as a very 80s. Uh, and then you already explained the Steel Town thing. But yeah, that's uh, yeah. that was a good track. I liked that one a lot. And and there again, I think, lyrically, it. it it plays to every strength. There's good imagery there. But again, we're not talking Bob Dylan or Bruce Springsteen type lyricism. This is just straight ahead. Well, how old were these guys when they made it? Um, Don't know. What I can tell you is the math doesn't align for me with what I was told by somebody else. Um, I would assume early 20s. I think Mike was the oldest who probably would have been in his mid mid to late mid 20s. Okay. I know Craig and Jimmy were probably 19, 20, 21 in that range. So Mike was definitely the oldest. But I mean when you when you look at the the lyrical content of of some of the great debut albums like Van Halen or Guns N' Roses, you know, they're it's it's right on par with the the lyrical content. I mean, you're talking about you know the breakups. You're talking about living the life. You're talking about the one that got away. It, that's the, that's that's what you know at that point in your life. That's what you write about. Yep. Yeah. And Steel Town Steel. sucks. Have the blues. You know that's yeah. It, it, I was just watching an old clip with um with Ed Bradley interviewing Bob Dylan. Who I mean, whatever our feelings are about Dylan, he's clearly one of the if not the most important American American rock and roll lyricist, um, I can get on board with that. Yeah. So in the interview, you know, Dylan is reciting some of the lyrics from early in his career when he was a thought of as a protest folk singer, and the 
the way he rattles them off and the imagery. It's beautiful, you know, whatever you think. And he's like, I could write that today. You know, where does that come from? And Ed Bradley's like, you don't think you could write that today? He's like, no. He said, I can, I can write other things that are good. My wording, not his. I can write other things, but I can't write that. Hmm. Almost like it was like this divine, 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 divine intervention. But in any event, this is not, that is not Mike Doman's forte. Not at this, not at this point or in the two subsequent albums. Was he the primary lyricist? He was. He's, he's, yes, he is listed as the primary. He's listed as the sole songwriter, but who knows what it's like. Oh, really? Dan's getting into studio setting. Yeah. He does what? Um, but Steel Town, I'll be wearing blue. Gotta have a ballad in there. Yeah, well, that's what I was just gonna say. That I was just gonna say it's the obligatory yeah. ballad. But the day you white is the day I'll be wearing blue. And I remember when I was listening to this for the first time and uh, just listened to it straight through, and uh, you know, getting the tracks, you know. Three, four, five. Like, I haven't hit a ballad yet. And then, boom. Right right as I was thinking that. Yep. Right right on cue. 30,000 feet. Just a good. Yeah, it's it's up there without in the fields. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's a decent track. Exactly. It's yeah. a track. And, and it was yeah. on Miami Vice. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then my second favorite is, yes, it's all over. great finish right yep so you, you they're it's like they to me they're their highlights were the beginning the middle and the end yeah they, they, for they sure. spaced it that way but yeah that i thought it, both in title and in the in the harmony you know it was it was it was a really good track for sure it's what a great button for a record it was one of the yeah. few tracks i don't think any of the other ones really had the two guys singing in harmony together other than that one yeah yeah but uh, those would be, so my favorite, Steel Town, yes, it's all over now. I understand the ballads. They work. They're not bad. They're just, I don't think they're a standout tune. So Steel Town, it's all over now and probably in another land. Those would be my three standout. I think those are mine as well. Uh, if I had to, yeah. on the bubble would be uh, L.A. Rain and Painless Saturday. Yeah. Those those. I, I, they're 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 quirky at times, especially Painless Saturday. But and obviously, it's still in the back of my head. I, I will find that copy track. I know it's out there, and I, and I'm I'm leaning towards like a uh, like it was like SR seventy one or something like that. You know, just so, uh, one of those pop punk bands that did it, oh, shit. Yeah. like Newfound Glory or some something in there. It's it's I'll find it. it it's my yeah, it's my I, white whale now. <laughs> I just, I had vowed that this will be the last time that I bloviate about this record when people are tired of listening to me. <laughs> well, this is a new and, audience to bloviate yes, that's true. to. So. That's true. Um, and I'm happy to talk about it. I just, I don't know, man. It's, yeah, I just, I, 
I don't think the band was ever this good again. You know, witness the fact that Craig, the original drummer, Craig Aronson left. And then the next record, they had a new drummer and a keyboard player. You know, which stands to reason is what you would get in 1988. This is true. Yeah. A band without a place, really. The the late 80s, uh, trying to trying to find their place in that particular music landscape. So much was changing. And I don't want to say this improperly. So, so many of the wrong things were popular. Well, uh, yeah. uh, there's, there was a lot of good music. My cousin Alan will disagree. He's, he, he's got a thing about the eighties. He's, it's, <laughs> but, All right. but the, uh, there was a lot of good music still being made. And, uh-huh. and this was, uh, I think it was a band that just couldn't find their place and having not listened to the second and third albums, I'm just assuming that they were trying different things to, to fit somewhere and, and none of it really clicked. You're at, that's a great way to put it. A band without a home or a band without a place. I mean, they, a broken home, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and what's interesting to me, and I never, I meant to ask about this. On the first record, they're just listed as Broken Homes. On the next two records, they're listed as The Broken Homes. So the article, The, appears. And I think Broken Homes, it just rings a little bit more true. Once you throw that The into it, it seems forced. Yes, and also conflicts because there's other bands kind of with variations of that name. Uh, mm. Even to where there's one on, uh, I think it was lyrics.com. I was tr- I was searching for stuff on this band, and there's the Broken Homes that have a release out in ni- two in 2020. Yeah. So what, was that them? I would assume not. But nope. So not there's, that. and that band had several albums. So I don't know. But this wasn't one of them. No, it was not. Um, yeah, and. I don't want to steal too much of my own thunder, but getting a record deal in the 80s was no small feat. You know, it's not like the 90s when they were handing them out at the 7-Eleven <laughs> record deals. Um, so, but it was a little bit more problematic. And these guys were probably one of, if not the biggest bands in LA before they got signed. So, I mean, and Jimmy and both Jimmy and Craig talk about it when I when I've spoken with them about the scene was just different. It was a little bit more collaborative and congenial. And for example, Guns N' Roses used to open for Broken Home. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. And look what happened there. You know. So well, I mean, they were signed by MCA. That's not you know Bob's record company. You know, there's that. That's a big label. It is a big label, and they were, you know, I remember even then, to me, MCA Records was always a second-tier rock label. They they were a good label for certain genres. To me, the, this, and again, this is going back to the mid-'80s, to me, the rock labels were Epic, Columbia, Geffen, Warner Brothers to some extent, Sire to some extent, uh, Sire in particular with like some of the college rock bands but MCA just never tracked in 
in that. And I don't, their biggest rock band at the time or ever, I think, was probably Tom Petty. Which isn't far off on style from Broken Homes. I no, mean, you, you could make a connection there. Absolutely. And interestingly enough, when Petty first came out with that first record, he often was mislabeled as a punk band. <laughs> really? I didn't know. Oh, yeah. They, they, that first record, you would would end up in like the punk section of record stores for some reason. Was that was that Damn the Torpedoes? Was that his first? No, that was their third. Third? Um, ah, he's got... He has a pretty pretty good catalog. Uh, making them all mixed up. He does. I think it was just called. Yeah, it was just called self. Yep, self titled. Okay. That's the one with America. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, that's that's not punk at all, to me, in my opinion. No. Uh, yeah, I hear American Girl in my head. I'm not thinking punk. No, uh, I'm thinking Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> if you remember, that's a iconic scene where she's driving in the uh, in her car and she's popping on the steering wheel oh yeah uh, okay yeah i've yeah. seen that in a while I, that's as iconic of a movie scene for me as the phoebe cates walking out of the uh pool in fast times at ridgemont high to the cars moving in the stereo <laughs> definitely an iconic scene if you're if you're a man of a certain age <laughs> actually any age Anything more you want to throw out there about broken homes before we? Oh, you on? know, I could, I could, I could talk endlessly. I mean, I think. Well, I want to, I want to go back to one qu- thing you said, which was, uh, this was the the greatest they had ever been. Uh, I think so. When you spoke to those former members, do they have the same opinion of that first album? Do they have? Do they hold it in in a place of reverence? I never asked. Um... I think they, I'm going to presume they do for the following reason. When I, when I first started, I've had an idea to do something like the Abandoned Albums podcast for a while. I'd written the piece that you were, you were referring to earlier about the medium on medium and Don Harvey, who was the studio drummer on the record, reached out to me and he's like, Hey, I really like what you wrote. I'm actually the guy who drummed on the, that's cool. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, mm, I don't think so, Mr. <laughs> Don Harvey. Um, because on the, the album cover, it's like all four of the band members' names are in big block letters right on the front of the record. I'm like, that is not Don Harvey. And then I turned it over, and sure enough, in the very tiny thank you notes, he's there. Oh, okay. So at that point, I just sort of took the initiative. I was like, hey, would you want to talk about your experience recording that. And he's like, yeah, sure. I was like, oh, okay, well, let me set it up. And then I had to actually put into motion the idea of this abandoned albums podcast that was just floating out in the ether. I'm like, fuck, now I got to do it. So I did. And um, about a week before he sent me an email, he's like, hey, are you going to contact Craig or Jimmy? And I'm like, yeah, of course I, you know, of course I am. I hadn't even conceived of it. I hadn't even thought of it. I was like, these guys aren't going to want to fucking do it. But I follow both of them on social media, and I reached out to Craig to answer your question. Do I think it matters to them? While I never asked it directly, I will tell you that Craig responded within like five minutes. And I was like, hey, would you be interested in talking about this record? He's like, yeah, I'd love to talk about 
that record. That's really cool. And I reached out to Jimmy, and Jimmy didn't get back to me. And then about two days before we were to record, I'm like, well, let me just contact Jeff Irick and see if he would like to talk about this record. So I sent him an email through his website, and he got back to me within you know a couple hours. He's like, yeah, man, I'd love to talk about this record. When? He goes, I'm on vacation in Greece, but I don't mind. Yeah. So Craig is in the Bahamas. You know, um, Jeff Irick is in Greece, and we're on the East Coast. So it was just, it was, to answer your question, yes, I think they are excited. I think there is pride behind it, and I think, but as far as their catalog goes, I, I don't know if they would. Well, I'm happy you brought this to the table because it's a uh, say. I'm 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 proud to be part of getting it out in there, into new ears, so that you know maybe it could have a resurgence. You know, I doubt it's going to get the music rewind bump, but uh, I th- I think the the best thing is is you putting it out on Spotify for the algorithm to pick it up. Yeah, I I, I it deserves to be heard if you'd like straight ahead rock and roll. And, you know, at this point, I got to be honest with you, I've spoken so much about this album. I feel that, you know, how if your friends hype something up too much. Yeah. And then, and then you watch it or you listen to it, you're like, that was all right. It went great. You know? So I, I fear, I fear sometimes there's, there might be some of that. But if you go into it with a clear head, I, I think you'll find a really, really good rock and roll. Well, I enjoyed it, and one of the uh, say pleasures of this particular podcast, though, with with my style of just letting whoever wants to talk about a special album to them, I've listened to so many brand new albums that I either didn't know existed or I never gave them a second thought, and huh. it's it's been great. I haven't listened to one yet that I kind of had to roll my eyes and like, oh man, I got to talk about this album. I don't want to. Yeah, really? No, I've I've enjoyed each of them. And because uh, I, I listen to them and I, I want to give the album the respect it deserves. So I'm going to that's why I'm spacing out even this particular season. So I have more time to really listen to each album and make notes and, uh, you know, do research if I can. Uh, and it, it adds to my particular enjoyment of the album. And, and as my uh, my friend Danny you know, likes to say, you know, listening to these albums through the through the years of someone who really is uh you know putting it on that pedestal and hearing them talk about it also adds to the enjoyment of it wow that's 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 great i don't what you said in the middle there about appreciating and paraphrasing appreciating the artistry of it even some of the artists i've inter- interviewed over you know my four seasons it's just some of them i'm like I don't share the same the same point of view. I'm like, eh, it's okay, it's good. It's it's it's. I appreciate the artistry and the, the effort and everything that went into it, but it, for whatever reason, it doesn't speak. This album, you know, is closer to my center than than others. I mean, I, I am a classic rock guy, uh, but others have have really kind of veered off. Uh, uh, there's a the the episode that will air before this one. Lord, I was. Mm, yeah, yeah. I was very uh, apprehensive about going into it. It's like, oh, this is way out of my comfort zone, but I loved it. 
it was really it was it was a great album uh that that girl's got talent and it's oh, not man. something it, it was it was definitely released well after i stopped kind of listening to new music uh it was yeah. it's more for my you know younger cousins if you get a chance there was an australian television series with holly hunter i can't remember the name of it right now but lord did the opening track for that okay and i remember watching it this is probably one of the most haunting songs leading into a television show and i it took me a day or two to find out who it was i was expecting teeny bopper crap that's and that was not what it was. So her it was her second album, Melodrama, and it's it's deep. It was deep. Yeah, she, she's but then there's she's, there's been other episodes that have taken me in the direction of soul, rap, hip hop, uh, theater. I mean, there's there's kind of all kinds of different directions. Uh, yeah, we did Show a two. we did a great episode in my first season on Phantom of the Opera, the original broadcast, uh, the original West End recording. Really? Yeah, wow. that's that's one of my favorite episodes. Uh, my friend Kelly is a self-admitted theater nerd, and she loves it. And it was that's a great episode. For her. Yeah, yeah, for her. Um, yeah, uh, Lord, Lord is great. Um, there's one other thing I wanted to say about Brooke. Oh, you mentioned moments ago how it, it points more towards your 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 preferred classic rock sounding, and. Jimmy actually said that. I didn't interview Jimmy along with the other guys. I interviewed him separately after the fact because he didn't, you know, I love Jimmy Ashurst. He's just a fucking great guy to chat with. He's really, really, really fun. But um, he had said, to your point, how do you categorize classic rock that's just being made? That was one of the things that in retrospect, that he thought the band struggled with from a marketing standpoint because they were making classic rock for all intents and purposes, but how do you market it as classic rock when it's brand new? It's one of the the fundamental questions of this podcast. We had, in our very first uh, roundtable, the very first question was, what is classic rock to you? And we had several generations of people on that particular round table and everyone had a different answer you know, and with me being the youngest, I was born in 80 in my father's generation. They, what was classic rock to them was just the top 40 of the radio. What was classic rock to me is what my dad was listening to and what I still listen to. You know, it, it, it stops to me around 90 or to my cousin, it stops around, you know, 80. It's so it's this, that generational, viewpoint of the phrase classic rock is fascinating and uh coming up we have some bonus episodes called music generations and one of the and from age 16 to 70 plus we're asking that question just it's real real quick quick fire is what is classic rock and you, man you will be impressed with some answers <laughs> uh i mean there's there's some that uh the young girls are saying like well there's nirvana and you know like, yeah. One girl says Blink-182. I mean, it's, it's all right. You know, okay. You, you, you know, you've reached a certain demographic and aged in age demographic when you're in the supermarket and you hear 
like I was just going back a couple of years, I heard a replacement song in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like one of the punk, it was one of the more popular yeah. versions later in their career. And I'm like, oh man, <laughs> how did this happen? We're at I mean, at least point. it's not Muzak, you yeah. know, but. Ugh. Yeah, when you, if you get, if you get the elevator version of, of Smells Like Teen Spirit, then we've reached a tipping point. So. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I am. I mean, what's classic? I, don't, I wouldn't even know what classic rock. To me, it. To me, it's the generation before me. To me, classic rock is. You know, Hendrix, Clapton, yep. Cream, Zeppelin, Stones, Beatles, really the benchmark. I think that that particular era, everyone's in agreement on. It's when does it end? That to me, it ends. Oh, gosh, that's when everyone's got a a different viewpoint on when classic rock, that particular era. I like the way Sirius XM kind of splits it up. They've got classic vinyl and classic rewind, the two different channels that that it really kind of splices it nicely. To me, the demarcation point, and this is probably more generational, would probably be around 80 or 81. Okay, because that is when that's when college rock started to get more. We were post-punk at that point. Um, so you had bands like R.E.M., XTC, you know, and that whole college left of the dial type music. Or, or, I mean, if you're old enough, you remember to find those college rock radio stations, you went all the way left of the dial. But to me, like bands like The Cars, The Police, you know, I, I put those in classic rock. I would too, yeah. For sure. So, so yeah. the eighties is a big gray area. No one can. It de- to me definitely ends by grunge. Grunge was the the death knell in that. I I don't consider the nineties rock classic rock. But I'm I'm an old man now. So, well, it happens to the best of us. We get yeah. Um, it's not for the weak. Tell you that. Um, and you have kids too. Ooh. Yeah, we won't go into what they listen to. Oh. It's terrible. I was I had lunch with a friend of mine and she has a teenager. I guess her son must be I don't know, thirteen or fourteen now, but he's just starting to really get into music and she couldn't be happier when I mean, all on his own, he's discovering artists like Simon and Garth at the Rolling Stones. Nice. Through no coercion of hers, this is just where he's gravitated to. And I was like, All right, all right. Yeah. You know, and we were both we we're both huge replacements fans. And we just sort of eagerly await his discovery, the replacements. Well, well, that leads into the kind of last segment here is, so Broken Homes was the top of your list. What's what's on your short list that you could have talked about? The short list. Boy, easily the replacements, pleased to meet me again. That's, it captured the band. I don't think the band was ever that good again. Although, you know, they swung for the fences on... The next record, Pleased to Meet Me, big glossy production. but The Replacements is a band that I have not delved too deep into their catalog, but it has been mentioned so many times on multiple episodes. It's probably the, the Replacements and the Pixies are probably competing for uh, shortlist slots. So many different guys have, have put those two bands that never on the top, 
but they're they're just bulking out the short list. It it's so 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 funny you say that because I can break music fans, you know, of a certain generation into two camps: the replacements or the pixies. <laughs> And and it's so true because to your point, they're they're the bands that seem to come up the most. They cast a huge shadow. They do, yes. On 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 modern music, both bands equally. And um, but there seems to be two camps. We interviewed the Vaden Todd Lewis from the Toadies, and mm-hmm. that's where that was a good episode. Sort of yeah, and he says, "Oh, the Pixies," and I'm like, "Ah, oh, the replacements," you know. <laughs> and that just seems, to, and it seemed to be a, a recurring thing. To your point, and uh, I'm I'm firmly in the replacement myself. And circling back to the replacements, and even tying it into Broken Homes, they did a tour with the replacements. Jeez, oh, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it would have been the replacements. I I, I probably. Easily could have done Scarecrow by John Cougar Mellencamp. Okay. I think that is... That album was played a lot in my household. One of the single most important records of the 1980s for a number of different reasons. Um, But... And and I am admittedly a huge John Mellencamp. But I, I think it's probably one of the... And I think it gets overlooked and I think people... I think people have always discounted John Mellencamp as an artist my say my hometown of 300 people and surrounded by cornfields i mean you could turn up any random radio on any random day you'll get some john Mellencamp somewhere good as you should that's um that was his bread and butter that that era sure was and he and he 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 is he is probably the hardest working man is he still making albums yeah, still got new stuff coming up. Uh-huh. Um, gosh, I don't know if anything new. I think the last thing I remember seeing was like a re- a, a live release. Mm-hmm. But he did. I mean, he's he to your point about Broadway, he did a a musical with uh, Stephen King, John Mellencamp, and somebody else. They 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 did yeah. it was like three huge names, and they wrote a musical. Stephen King, the Never made horror writer. Okay. Yep. Yep. He's a big. He's a big music nerd. Um, but they did a. I can't remember the name of it right now. It's very Americana. It never made it to Broadway. I think it. It did a tour, but it never made it to Broadway. But nonetheless, um, so it would have been John Mellencamp. The replacement John Mellencamp. Be a third one. Ghost Brothers of Darkland County, by the way. That's it. Yep. That's it. Who was the third person? So it was John Mellencamp, Stephen King, and... Uh, T-Bone. T-Bone Burnett. T-Bone Burnett. Yep. Uh, You know what? Speaking of T-Bone, that would have been a fun one, too. Sam Phillips, the indescribable wow. Sam Phillips was married to T-Bone Burnett for a while, and she produced a few records. This was her first record... Of um, what the word is escaping me right now, but she was a Christian singer. Okay, secular. This is her first secular record, moving away from the Christian 
music genre. And uh, T-Bone Burnett produced it before he was, you know, the the seminal Americana <laughs> producer yeah. who produced Counting Crows and a list of other artists. Yeah. Um, but that probably would have been my third one off the top of my head. The it's a great record, you know. Uh, Sam Phillips is she's a cool little artist. Okay. Um, I don't know what she's doing now, but she never gained the type of attention that she she deserved. She got a little bit big in the late late eighties, early nineties. Her biggest record, I think, was Bikinis and Martinis, or Martinis and Bikinis. I think. <laughs> one of the two. One of the. But um, but yeah, that would those would have been probably the first three. Replacements, let it be, not let it be. Please to meet me, John Mellencamp, Scarecrow, or Sam Phillips, the indescribable wow. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, before we wrap this up, uh, please tell our listeners what you're working on, where they can find you, or anything you would like to pitch. Um, I pitched a dozen different things. Um, Abandoned Albums is the podcast. We are available on all your typical podcast platforms. That's my primary. I'm well. I don't mind. I guess I can say it now. I'm, I'm producing and hosting. I'm dropping a four episode podcast on Monday about. I interview a couple that are currently being stalked by the woman's ex boyfriend. So is this a that, true story? Absolutely. Oh wow! Right now, the podcast is called IRL Lunatic Fringe. And that drops on Monday, all four episodes. So I just wrapped that, um, continuing on with ab uh, Abandoned Albums. Great season so far. Wait, well, you just, the, the the Juju Hounds is about to drop, you said. Yeah, yeah. Juju Hounds drops on, on Wednesday. I'm real excited about that. Talking to Jimmy Ashurst is probably one of the true delights in what we do. Oh. He's just, he's got stories. He's very very candid um there's he I, I i was trying to equate it to like he's sort of talking to jimmy ashurst is like catching up with an old friend at a bar when you're both about on your second beer you know where it's just great to see somebody you haven't seen in a while and you're just riffing and laughing and having fun and that's cool that's what it's like with jimmy um that drops the IRL podcast drops on Monday, the 30th. And yeah, that's, that is, yeah, that's, that's what I'm working on right now. I mean, there's several other things, nothing that I'm, that's nothing that's ready to public. Well, I recommend anybody out there to, to check out Abandoned Albums. It's a great show. Thank you. Uh, yes. And I, I had my, my notes to me. I did enjoy the, the Toadies episode. Uh, stand, cool. stand out for me uh, as that was a one of my favorite albums in high school so it was cool to hear you, hear you talk oh, really? to him okay. if any of your uh, friends from Broken Homes want to come on Music Rewind just feel free to let them know <laughs> guys contact me we'll, we'll, we'll get you a slot you can talk about your yeah. your influences <laughs> yeah yeah and I'll send you a picture that that the liner notes that yeah I, I want to see those liner notes I, I want to compare that it's, to ten. it's Interesting. Um, and I remember saying that to Jimmy. I'm like, "Did have you ever looked at the the liner notes from Pearl Jam's 10? He's like, "No, what? Well, this is my Jimmy voice. No, why?" But 
he doesn't sound like that at all. He's like, no, why? I'm like, it's I, virtually I, and it's like, I can almost imagine him shrugging, going, oh, well, maybe it's the same graphic person. I don't know. He's your prototypical <laughs> rock star. When I was, hopefully, I'll cut this out. But um, when we were talking last week, he's just like Jeff, who co-hosts the show with me. He's like, you know, you were you were with Buckcherry for like ten years. He's like, yeah, it's been like ten years on the road. Jimmy's only ever been a rock star. He's never had a job. So, and he freely admits it. He goes, There's shit I just don't know how to do. I goes, I don't know how to do laundry. I don't really know how to make, bake, cook for myself. You know, when you're on the road for 10 years, all of that's taken care of for that's you. That's true. Well, I, you know, <laughs> at a certain level, all of that is, you know, someone does your laundry, someone feeds you, somebody, you know, it's really, really interesting. But, um, thanks, man. This was good fun. Um, I'm always happy to talk about this record. I encourage anyone listening to check it out on Spotify. Um, give it a follow, give it a thumbs up. It's will be it's a great. Record. It will be linked in the, the Spotify list. It'll be linked in the show notes as well. Yeah, check it out. Yeah, man. Pretty good. Um, I, yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm I really appreciate it. Love it. It's always good to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thanks for being on, and it was a pleasure to talk about broken homes. Thanks so much. I'd like to thank you for listening to Music Rewind, a podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. If you enjoyed today's episode, there are many ways to help the show, such as our Patreon or affiliate links in the show notes. The easiest way, though, is to give the show a rating or comment wherever you listen. We really do appreciate it. Thank you again, and as I always say, listen to the full album. Until next time. A podcast from the Sidereal Media Group. Back to you, anchors.